Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the developer behind AirBuddy and notable software spelunker, writer, and podcaster, Guy Rambo. Welcome to the show. Hey, Charlie. Thanks for having me. I am really excited to have you. Uh, but <laughs> something that's interesting here is, you know, I try and do a decent amount of like prep beforehand and, you know, just kind of go through the, what the person's done and kind of the arc of their career so that we can, you know, walk through this. And with you, I've, I've sort of struggled because I feel like you do a million things <laughs> and there isn't this like line that goes through all those things it feels like all of those things are all happening at once and so (laughs) (laughs) before we even get into you know the intro questions i ask i guess the first thing i'm curious about is if you get stopped on the street you know in the uh past and hopefully future where you can be stopped on the street because you're allowed to be around people and somebody says what do you do how do you answer that question I'm a software developer. Okay. <laughs> that's the, the short answer. Yeah. That's like the, the quick go-to. Uh, I guess that's probably the easiest one to explain as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like everything else is just a side thing to my main job, which is being a, a software developer. Um, but I also think as, at least for me, and this will, of course, be different for each person, but software development for me goes beyond just writing code and making things run on computers so i enjoy the whole process around software development so all of the design the marketing product development all of that stuff is exciting for me yeah and i it, we'll get into that obviously but i i feel like that shows in your work in a uh, kind of unique way um but but i guess before we get into any of those specifics let's start with the, the three questions i always ask everybody which is where are you from uh, do you have like a formal education related to what you do? And then what was your career like? I guess we'll just say, what was your career like leading up to the things you do now? Because I don't even know what specific thing to lead up to. Oh, that's a long path. Uh, so <laughs> that's, that's I, the point of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Brazil. Uh, I currently live in uh, Florianopolis uh, in Santa Catarina Island, which is this island to the east coast of Brazil. It's quite nice. I, I love it here. Uh, so I, I I actually got started with software developments in school, basically, because they had this computer lab. I think it was shortly before I started high school there, uh, or the equivalent of high school here. And uh, they had this uh, computer lab, and they had a bunch of stuff you could learn and all of these um, different courses basically you could take and uh, i chose programming uh, for some reason because that sounded exciting and i was the only one in that class (laughs) oh wow (laughs) yeah so for uh, i don't know if it was weeks or months i i would uh, go there i think it was like an hour every other day or something like that and and i would sit down in front of this really old computer which probably ran like windows 95 or 98 uh which was already outdated by then like i'm from the 90s uh, i was born in 92 so i'm not that old (laughs) so uh yeah so it was already outdated but i was learning 
like things like like Pascal and and Delphi, oh, things wow. like that, uh, and creating these uh, command line tools and, and that sort of stuff. So yeah, quite old school, but not like for some other people who got started with Apple II and, and Basic and things like that. So my first uh, interest in computer programming was basically Pascal and, and DOS stuff. Yeah, that feels already like a unique entry point uh, for somebody in, I guess, I'll say ours. I was born in 90, so <laughs> similar uh, uh, generation here. Yeah. Yeah, starting out with Pascal is not something, I feel like maybe you get into that later in life uh, if you're into like low level or older uh, stuff. But uh, yeah, that's an interesting entry point. And then I guess you got to fast forward very quickly through time uh, towards more modern languages. Yeah, so after that, um, I left high school. And uh, to answer the other question, no, I did not go to college. I don't have any formal education on computer science or anything really. Uh, so I started um, making websites because I, I liked doing this mix of design and also a little bit of programming with some JavaScript. And uh, I guess to some extent, like, yeah, HTML is not a programming language, but it's uh, writing code uh, at the end of the day. And I did that for a, a long time. And uh, as a teenager, I was actually doing some freelance work for small businesses around town, doing websites for them. Uh, and then uh, some clients wanted to have like a CMS, a custom CMS, and I didn't know how to write any of that. So I learned PHP and I would make these uh, PHP websites, which probably had vulnerabilities uh, with <laughs> SQL injection and things like that back in the day. I didn't know anything about security, but I mean, it worked. <laughs> I never got hacked, at least not back then. Um, so yeah, so I did that for, for a while. And after I was working with that for, for a while, I kind of got tired of doing websites. Web development was starting to become really complicated and it was just boring for me at the time and um, it was also when I got my first Mac because I was starting to learn Ruby and Ruby on Rails and ah, I wanted yes. to use TextMate. <laughs> That's a familiar story. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was under the impression that I had this super unique story about <laughs> buying a Mac just for TextMate for Ruby on Rails and uh, turns out I was not the only one. <laughs> yeah, sounds like TextMate should be getting uh, some sort of commission from Apple for uh, pulling pulling people in. Yeah, yeah, and, and I still use it to this day, which is something that people tend to ask me why and then I, I don't know I guess uh, I have a special place in my heart for TextMate <laughs> um, but yeah so I I started using Macs back then and I also had this interest in doing work with video and, and audio so I started getting into video stuff and uh, motion graphics and VFX and I think you also do some motion graphics. Yeah, I was about to say, kindred spirit yeah. here. Uh, that <laughs> is, I, I, That was actually one of my questions for later because th that interest definitely shows itself in, in your app work. Uh, there's a lot of motion and, and animation and sort of whimsy and fun. And so I guess that kind of grew out of this interest. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's all from this place of, of wanting to 
to create good experiences for people, regardless of what type of experience it is. Uh, so experiences can be software, they can be uh, a live event, they can be video or something. Uh, so yeah, so I started doing some some of that. I did some freelancing on, on motion graphics. Then I started doing some more practical video work, actually going to places and, and shooting with uh, a couple of friends. And then we had like this video business for a while. Oh, wow. And um, in parallel to that, I was, because this is when I was, quote, supposed to be in college so this is when i would have gone to college but i chose not to uh and in parallel to all this video stuff i was slowly going through learning how to make apps for the mac because i had this programming mindset so i wanted to make apps for myself to help with with my video work or just to have fun basically and I was learning also Mac development and then Apple released the iPhone around the same time. I got my first iPhone, it was the iPhone 3GS and then I, of course I wanted to make stuff for my iPhone so I started learning how to make things for the iPhone and then slowly I noticed that this could be a path forward uh, and, and that this was first something that I enjoyed doing and also something that could be used to make a living off of. And, and so I decided to, to get more serious with it. And I released my first app in the App Store in 2013. It's no longer there. Don't look for it. <laughs> uh, it was an app for... Um, actually, my first app ever was released in the Mac App Store. And it was this app to track packages with the Brazilian postal service. Uh, it only okay, worked with yeah. the Brazilian postal service. So it was a very specific app, very niche. Uh, I guess, well, Brazil is kind of large and there's a lot of people here, so it's not that niche. But yeah, and it, it actually, it, it did quite well. Uh, I didn't make a lot of money out of it, but it had a lot of users. And uh, I that way I, I learned like how to market the app, how to deal with supports. I also ran my own backend for the app, which okay, was yeah. uh, written in, in Ruby on Rails. Now, was that free with some sort of in-app purchase then? I think it was paid up front oh, okay. when I launched it. And then after like a year later or something, when, when I launched the iOS version, uh, and uh, that was actually quite a lot of fun because I had to launch an iOS app as well and and they had to sync with the Mac app of course um, when I launched the iOS version I think I went with uh, in-app purchase so it will let you have like three packages or something for free but if you wanted to track more packages at once you had to pay it was something like that right that makes sense. Yeah, so uh, fast forward to 2016, Apple released the iMessage App Store, which was a huge success, <laughs> as everyone knows. <laughs> yes, thousands of businesses uh, were built off of this platform. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they announced this, and one of my friends who worked with me on, on the video stuff, uh, he and me, we, we were into anime, and we watched anime together, and... He is a great illustrator and 
I asked him, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could make an app where people could send these uh, chibis back and forth uh, in iMessage and like uh, I can add a piece of clothing and you, and you can add the shoes and we can do something together on iMessage. And uh, for those who, know, who don't know, chibis are these cute little characters from the, the anime culture and that's how... Chibi Studio was born and it's still up to this day and we're still updating it. it it's been quite successful. Uh, we sell content, basically. You can buy packages of items and that's been quite successful for us. And yeah, so it's this fun app that... Fortunately, we did not limit to the iMessage App Store. So <laughs> I started with an iMessage only app back then but shortly after releasing which was probably like a week before or something i decided well i have all of this stuff working on imessage might as well make it a standalone app as well so i did that and basically the the main app was the same thing just you would do it alone instead of with a friend and i'm really glad i did that <laughs> yeah so like the app at least as it is now is you know you get to like take all these different parts you know different legs and and torsos and heads and hats and stuff like that and like build a chibi like avatar kind of was that the iMessage app had that level of uh interaction yeah it was basically that uh it was simpler because we didn't offer as much customization like uh back in the first version i don't think you could change the colors of items which is something you can do now like if you have a, a piece of hair you can change the colors um also there were no like tools you couldn't like change the layering you can move things around so it was a lot simpler it was basically just picking the item but yeah, it was basically the the concept is still the same and there's still code in there from like the first day I started <laughs> working in the app. <laughs> That's awesome. And at, at this time, were you still doing freelance work or were you working like a full-time gig in iOS development or something like that? This was, uh, I was still doing video work uh, at, oh, okay. at this point. Yeah. And then late 2016 i went to a conference uh in sao paulo and i met uh a guy who worked at the company i would end up working uh so uh, he he liked me uh and we we had a chat and uh, the company was moving from rio to florianopolis which is where i live now and uh, he asked me if i would like to join the company here and i did and, oh, and that's, that's awesome. how I ended up uh, with the the jobby job. And it was actually my first like formal iOS career job, but I had so much experience working by myself that uh, fortunately I had most of the skills that I needed. Right, you just had to learn how to send TPS reports and uh, you know file expenses <laughs> and <laughs> all the all the fun jobby job stuff. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So. I, I don't know all the timelines here, but at, at some point you also started writing for 9to5Mac. How, how does that play in or is that like later in the future? 
Yeah, that's uh, the the next thing basically. Um, so I've always been very very much of a, a tinkerer and a spelunker. <laughs> so I like to <laughs> learn how things work under the hoods. I I, I, I like to disassemble things uh, back when I was a kid, and my parents did not like that. <laughs> um, did you assemble them back or just leave them disassembled? I think most of the time I was able to put everything back. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly together. <laughs> Mostly, yeah. Just like one or two screws missing. Yeah. But the lessons learned were invaluable. Absolutely. Uh, and when I got to software, I also slowly uh, started doing uh, software spelunking, reverse engineering. Um, back when I was getting started with Mac app development, I learned how to use tools like Hopper. I don't remember if it was Hopper back then. Don't remember if it was already around, but some sort of disassembler uh, to like look at Apple's apps and see the APIs they were using and how things worked so that I could replicate it. So I'm like vaguely familiar with this stuff. So basically that lets you take in like give it machine code and it'll spit try and spit back out something pseudo human readable yeah that's pretty much it um and these days with the increased use of swift in in apple's code that's becoming a little bit more tricky because swift doesn't decompile as well as objective c because Objective-C at runtime, it, it's all strings, basically. Every uh, method call is actually you are sending a message to another thing, and the message is basically a string, which is the selector. Uh, so that's very easy uh, to for a decompiler to basically reconstruct the code for you with right. a, a pretty good level of fidelity. Um, and with Swift, uh, the, the runtime is a lot more set in stone to to an extent. So it can basically call things directly without referencing names. And without names, things get a lot more complicated <laughs> yeah. to reverse engineer. That makes sense. So uh, I started doing that and I was reverse engineering Final Cut Pro 10 right when it was introduced. And I don't know if you and, and the listeners remember, but it People didn't like Final Cut Pro 10 because it removed a lot of features from the classic Final Cut Pro. Yeah, it was a pretty major, major departure. Uh, that, that was actually when I switched to Adobe Premiere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, so I was reverse engineering because I wanted to learn uh, something about what they did on the UI. And I found these methods which were like export XML, import XML, uh, but those were not exposed in the UI. So I remember that back then I wrote to a Brazilian website uh, about Apple and this was like my first Spelunker leak. (laughs) And uh, it ended up being uh, reproduced around the the Apple websites. And eventually after a few point updates apple did introduce the feature that's awesome yeah and that that was a really big deal i like you kind of said like whenever final cut pro 10 came out it was a total rewrite which means a bunch of like pseudo obscure pro features were removed because they just didn't have time to get to everything and so that was part of the big backlash and so you discovering that one of those features was there it just wasn't exposed yet was a really big deal for like professionals to be like, okay, this is a tool that I will be able to use if this comes out, right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, also, 
this was when I learned that the same skill I was using to figure out how things worked and, and uh, help me with my work could also be used to learn about things before they were announced by Apple in this case. Uh, so uh, I started doing more of that and fast forward to 2017 when Apple announced the HomePod and famously a few months later, I think it was around August 2017, a software image for the HomePod, which was still not available to, to customers uh, at the time, was published at, at a publicly accessible Apple feed, basically. And I think it was Steve Troughton Smith who started looking at it. And I think he was probably one of the first people who found the, the software image. And um, I think it was a Friday, I download the, uh, the zip file. And during that weekend, I did the same thing. Basically, I was poking around and looking at what was in there. And since this was a software image for the HomePod, which was not released yet, it will only be released at the end of the year, but it ended up being delayed. Um, it included stuff for the new iPhones, which were going to be announced the, the month after, basically. And one of those new iPhones was the iPhone 10, which was a completely yeah. new design, as you probably remember. And um, I found some assets in that HomePod software image that basically showed the shape of the iPhone 10. And I published those to Twitter and, and it, it blew up in a way that I didn't expect it to. Yeah, because I mean, you know, we had had the same shape iPhone for so long. And so there was kind of, I mean, there's always a frenzy around uh, Apple speculation just because they're so secretive and so big. But especially around the iPhone 10, there was a lot of speculation and frenzy. And so uh, any sort of leak that, you know, purports to show the shape of something that's kind of a radical change, uh, it makes sense that that would blow up in hindsight. Yeah, definitely. I remember a, a, a screenshot of an iMessage conversation between me and, and a friend of mine where I showed the um, the shape of the iPhone to him. Uh, it was actually shown uh, on Fox News or something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really funny. Yeah. Now, okay, so at, at this moment, you've kind of done this a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's not like you've made like a sort of name for yourself in this space. You haven't done this a whole bunch. When you're poking around in this zip file and you come across this image, what was the feeling? Like, did your like heart skip a beat? Like, you're like, what is that? Or did it take a little bit to like, kind of get to the point of, wait a minute, is this the new phone? <laughs> it was actually funny because the, um, this asset was in a format that uh, I was probably the only person outside of Apple who knew this asset format, which is a, a core animation archive. Uh, and oh, yeah, uh, now yeah. it's known, thanks to me. <laughs> yeah, you've written about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyone else would see that file and would probably just ignore it because it was this uh, weird file format. But I had written some code that could render this file format. So I actually piped the, the image through my... And I knew it was interesting because it had D22 in the name of the file. And I knew by then that D22 was the model code for the new iPhone. Um, and it was inside the uh, basket framework, I think. And that is 
for wallets and Apple Pay and things like that. So when I initially rendered the image, it was sideways. Oh. And I thought it was like the image of a credit card or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so I, I didn't even notice. But then I, I, I thought a little bit and I, I was like, but D22 is the new iPhone. Like, there's something wrong. And, and then I found my mistake. And when it rendered correctly, I started having flashbacks of all of these rumors I had been reading from for the past month or so talking about oh the iphone won't have a home button and you'll have this notch and then and then i was like holy moly <laughs> like th this is actually the new iphone and then yes i i did skip a beat there that's awesome i feel like that little story encapsulates uh, a big part of of the spelunking it sounds like because it requires you know some technical like ingenuity but also uh, a lot of historical knowledge, you know, you recognize this image format, you've been reading rumors and knew about the notch, like other people's work kind of all comes into this too, right? Um, and then this history of figuring other things out, like knowing what the iPhone uh, code was. And then all of that had to kind of come together for you to even make this one revelation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it, it really requires a, a good amount of knowledge especially so you don't come up with a bunch of false positives yeah basically because there is a lot of stuff if you go reading through like uh, strings files in, in ios or mac os that might look like something but when you know the context around them you know that it's not something <laughs> and you might be talking about something that's a false positive uh, an example of that like last year someone opened an info.plist file from a, an ios beta and it said iphone os as the platform and then all of these uh, publications started publishing i apple to rename ios to iphone os and then no uh, info.plist files have always said iphone os <laughs> so that's an example of a false positive caused by someone not having enough context around what they're seeing to be able to interpret that yeah yeah that makes sense it's yeah there's so much uh input i mean i guess that's that's kind of the thing with spelunking in general is there's just so much it's like a fire hose of information yep and understanding how to distill that down to things that are actually interesting and then know how to toss out you know false flags or whatever so then, so you did this, but you said you just posted that to Twitter, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the way I ended up on, on 9 to 5 Mac was after this uh, happened and I started uh, working uh, with this field more, like doing more spelunking and, and releasing things on Twitter, uh, they approached me and uh, because most of the stuff I posted on Twitter ended up on 9 to 5 Mac anyway. Right. <laughs> so uh, they were like, hey, why don't you just write it here <laughs> instead of on Twitter? And I was like, okay, let's do this. And yeah, I'm, I'm still there. I'm, I'm not doing the, this type of work anymore because it takes too much time, basically. And uh, it it's not very lucrative so i need i needed to decide and i decided to focus on on my app work which is uh more important at the moment yeah that makes sense but you're still writing for nine to five uh as just like general articles with obviously all this expertise you have right yeah exactly yeah and i also help them like when there is 
something that's out that's a uh, that requires a bit of input from someone with uh, more knowledge of the behind the scenes stuff, then I, I always help them. And uh, yeah, recently there was this whole Google Chrome situation and then I wrote about that as well. So I'm still doing uh, work there. And also uh, my podcast Stack Trace with uh, John Sandell is also hosted on 9to5Mac. Yeah, that was literally uh, the next thing I was going to talk about is, <laughs> yeah, while you were there, you started this podcast with John Sandell, who... Uh, for non-developers, you may not know, he's like a really well-known developer. He used to work at Spotify, correct? Yeah, that is correct. And, uh, and you know, he has a really awesome blog uh, talking about Swift and, and Apple development. How did you guys meet and how did that podcast start? Well, it was actually quite uh, funny because I was thinking about starting my own podcast. Um, I think this was late 2017, maybe mid-2018. Uh, I'm really bad with dates, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was probably it. And I wanted to have a podcast with a co-host. I, I I don't like the idea of doing a podcast by myself. I don't. I, and the podcasts I listen to, I think like 99% are always with at least two people. I think that's yeah. uh, more interesting. Um, and I was thinking about who I might invite as a co-host. And I was actually thinking about inviting John. Um, and then uh, someday out of the blue, he, he DMs me on, on Twitter. Hey, all of these podcasts are talking about the stuff you publish. Why don't we start our oh, own wow. podcast so you can talk about it yourself? <laughs> so I guess it was meant to be. Uh, and like we, we didn't really know each other before we started the, the podcast. Like we, we exchanged DMs here and there. But yeah, we, we came to know each other through the podcast mainly wow that's that's kind of wild uh and it's yeah a wonderful podcast like you said it it kind of gives the uh well not so much i guess because you're not doing as much of the spelunking but still like that is a perspective that is not necessarily represented in the other podcasts i listen to is this uh you know john with this deep knowledge of obviously like swift development and all that and uh you obviously also with the swift development but with the spelunking background and on the sort of news side of things. Um, it's a really, it's a really cool podcast. I really like it a lot. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And, uh, we, we try to do some things differently than, than other shows. Uh, and I think the developer's perspective on, on the news is also interesting. And also we try to keep it uh, a good balance for, so that both developers and non-developers can listen to it and, if you're not a developer, you're not going to get all of the things we talk about, but at least it's not going to be super boring where you just like don't listen. And also there's something very important to us, which is we try to keep the the show in a, a positive tone, like uh, because mm, yeah, we both think that there's too much negativity in general on the internet and on a <laughs> on tech podcasts especially so we we try to to limit that and we've been called the the ted lasso of te tech podcasts <laughs> and i i i am very honored to to have that the title <laughs> yeah no kidding that's a that's not a bad moniker to have uh and yeah. also you know neither of you are from america which uh, that in its own right is is kind of nice to have uh a i mean there's other tech podcasts i listen to where there's people from other countries but um 
don't know. I, I appreciate getting more. I, I, especially being in the very middle of America, have, am guilty of a extremely American point of view on everything. And so I always like getting a, a perspective from people because uh, you're from Brazil and uh, John is from Poland, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that that that's also a, a nice point. And yeah, if you if you're um, an English speaker, uh, even if it's not your first language, uh, as is my case, if you haven't noticed, um, you kind of get fed a lot of U.S. politics in tech yeah. podcasts, for instance. And like, I'm not here to say what people should or should not say on their podcast. Like, it's their podcast. They can talk about whatever is important to them. But uh, when you have a global audience, there's going to be a, a significant percentage of users who are not interested in, in that. And uh, the good thing is that pretty much all podcasts these days have chapters. So you can always just yes. skip the chapter. <laughs> Uh, and you also have a Portuguese podcast, right? I, I don't know Portuguese, so uh, this part of my research was pretty Google translate but uh, you do have one that's like running currently, right? Yeah, so I, I was a, a guest. Um, this is yet another interesting story. Uh, there's this um, YouTube channel in, in Brazil called Loop Infinito, which basically means infinite loop. Ah, yeah. Uh, and uh, they do a bunch of... Um, of shows on YouTube about uh, tech in general, not just Apple, but they, of course, talk a lot about about Apple. And when the whole uh, 2017 iPhone 10 stuff happened, they actually flew me to Sao Paulo uh, to record a, a show with them uh, live. Oh, wow. Uh, this was before covid right <laughs> when you could fly uh, and be around remember people. those days yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so they flew me to to sao paulo like it's actually like a one hour flight from from florianopolis so so that's uh very easy uh and i recorded this show with them and part of the the whole um infinite loop network is this uh podcast which is called area de transferencia which means um Clipboard, basically. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's shortened to ADT, which is simpler. Uh, and um, it's, it has uh, three co-hosts. And uh, when we were done with doing the, the live show, uh, they uh, this guy came up to me and, and he was like, hey, would you mind doing this podcast with us? And I have a, a, a policy that I never reject an invitation to a podcast unless like I have something else to do on the day or something. Uh, so, and, but I, I, and I told them this, that I was super tired and <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it was actually really fun. And then, and, and we got along really well. Um, the, it, it's uh, with podcasts, there's, there's, some chemistry that has to happen between the people involved otherwise it it doesn't go well yes <laughs> um yeah so we 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 get, got along really well and uh after that i would get invited to their show every now and then and there was a point where like there was so much stuff happening and they wanted to have my point of view uh, because they none of them are developers themselves. Right. Uh, and they, they wanted to have my inputs on, on things. Uh, and I was doing like almost every week with them, uh, the, the show. And uh, they were just like, heck, why don't you join the show? <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I did. That's awesome. So, I guess there, there's a whole bunch of history in between 
where we just left off and AirBuddy, but I definitely want to make sure we get to AirBuddy. So I guess a quick fast forward is you do have some other apps that you've come out with that are actually, I think both of them are Mac apps that I know about. There's FusionCast and the WWDC app. Those are two amazing apps that people should definitely check out, but I think we're just going to have to fast forward through those because I really want to talk about AirBuddy, which is, it's an app that you've had for a little while. And so I'll let you just kind of explain the, what it is and kind of the origin story of at least version one. Yeah. So this was back in uh, 2019, uh, early 2019. I was really bothered that the AirPods integrated so well with iOS but on the Mac, you didn't have the same experience. And yeah, it was just not fun on the Mac to, to work with AirPods. Such a good way to phrase it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was um, thinking about this problem. It was actually during my, my jobby job work. And I was thinking about this problem as I, I'm working on, on this stuff. And uh, after I was finished for the day, I decided to launch Xcode and, and see what I could do. And uh, in uh, a few hours, I think I had a working prototype where I could open the the case of my AirPods next to my Mac and it would show the pop-up like it does on, on iOS. Um, okay, and we, we have to pause for a second there. Because <laughs> <laughs> in a few hours, like, I wouldn't even know. Obviously, I'm not a Mac developer, but still... That, that's not just like a public API that's available to everybody that you could just find an Apple doc on how to do, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, so I had a, a little bit of prior knowledge about how the the iPhone does it from my spelunking. Um, but you could actually do do it with by just using public API if you wanted to because it's all just Bluetooth low energy advertisements. Oh. Um, so yeah, you... Um, the secret is out. If anyone wants to copy AirBuddy, you can actually do it. <laughs> okay, that makes um, sense. So it's literally just BLE, because uh, like Bluetooth low energy devices all send out like a basically like a beacon every however often, right? With a little bit of metadata. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like trivially simple. You have to learn how to parse the the advertisement bits that come out. Um, but it's definitely not super complicated uh what's complicated is of course everything around it and right. doing it in an efficient way and yeah the user experience um and uh i i shot a, a little video of of me opening my airpods case in front of my mac and it showing the pop-up and i tweeted this video and people were out of their mind <laughs> with this video they were like oh my god i want this Please, tomorrow. Well, this is also, <laughs> this is early days AirPods, where AirPods mania was sort of a huge thing in, just in general, right? Because people were so excited about the product. The timing was just perfect because it was right around the time uh, AirPods became a meme and uh, people with AirPods were, people were talking about how people with AirPods are these rich people and you are poor so you don't have AirPods. So that was the meme back then. And uh, my my tweets, uh, and I also tweeted another version which was super, this super complicated animation that kind of copied the air power animation. Um, so, the, but that was just for fun. That was not actually something that I was planning on doing. Um, <laughs> and I, I appreciate the air power animation, the product that was never actually released. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it was, um, it was then that I noticed that 
all right, there's so many people who want this, so maybe I should actually turn this into a real thing. And initially, I was thinking about just doing it as an open source app, but the interest was so great that I decided to actually make it a product. Uh, so I worked for, I think it was like a month, maybe, uh, in the releasing version one of the app. And this initial version was, it was, there was only the one version of AirPods that even existed at the time, right? Yeah, so there was only the, the original AirPods. Um, I think maybe the one with the, the wireless charging case as well, or maybe that was, right. no, that was, I think, maybe a little bit later, maybe March or something. But yeah, it was uh, the end of January when I launched the first version. And during the development, I added a, a, a bunch of new features. Uh, I added uh, a widget to notification center so that the app could show your devices there and it will also show your Mac and iOS devices as well. And also I added support for Beats uh, headsets because Beats also has a bunch of headsets which include the W1 or H1 chip. Um, so yeah, the, the the initial release of that was really simple. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's what that's what's so weird about it is it's really simple in terms of the like user experience of it. It's similar to AirPods, actually, right? Where it's like the actual user experience of AirPods is really simple, which is its whole appeal. But you know, under the hood, it's like really complicated what they're actually doing. <laughs> and as a developer, that is the feeling I get using AirBuddy is my brain just starts spinning thinking of like, did you like, I guess you had to make this work with all those devices, right? Yeah. Did you actually just have to get all those devices? And was there a lot of uh, uniqueness uh, between all the different devices? Fortunately, not. Uh, most devices use the same protocol, basically. They all follow the same format. Uh, so it, it was not necessary for me to acquire all of them. I did end up getting all of them uh, in the course of working with the app because... I can make a device work without having the device itself, but I cannot make it even better without having the device. So, for example, uh, as soon as Apple released AirPods Max, within a day, I had an update with initial support for AirPods Max, which basically means the app will show the AirPods Max, it will recognize them as AirPods Max, will show the right icon, the right animations and everything. But after I got my AirPods Max, I started noticing things like, oh, when I change the volume using the digital crown, I don't get any feedback on macOS. So I implemented a little feedback mechanism where the app will show this little spinning wheel with a volume and an icon when you change the volume using the uh, digital crown. And also when you took them out of the smart case, you would not show the status window automatically in AirBuddy. And I thought that was a good thing to have. So I also implemented that. Uh, also, I implemented a feature where the app will reflect the AirPods Max being inside the charging case. Uh, I mean, the smart case <laughs> when they are. So they will show a little, the little icon will have the smart case when they're in the smart case. So all of these nice little quality of life features are really hard to do if I don't have the device myself. So Right, you kind of have to live with it uh, to understand yeah. where the, the the little pain points and little nice quality of life improvements you can make 
uh, are. Yeah. So my policy right now is I buy every Apple or Beats headset, basically. Yeah, for for work. Uh, it <laughs> <laughs> Great excuse. I mean, it, I do think that is actually a, a real legitimate excuse, uh, but <laughs> a lot more so than mine. Uh, I mean, I make an audio app, so uh, I definitely need all their audio devices, right? That's yeah, of course. <laughs> that's my flimsy yeah. connection there. Uh, <laughs> definitely. Now, those features you just said, though, those aren't actually out in the current version, right? No, those are in uh, version 2.3, which will hopefully come out... Uh, later this month, maybe early March. Okay, good to know because I was <laughs> I've been eagerly waiting them ever since you tweeted specifically the one that shows the volume as you change it because that is just absolutely delightful. So I was like, if that's out and I haven't enabled it, I'm gonna literally do that right <laughs> the second. But uh, okay, I have a beta if you if you want to. <laughs> mm, mm, we might talk after this. Uh, <laughs> but so. I guess for the initial release then, uh, before AirBuddy 2, how how did that release go? It went extremely well. Um, I was shocked, <laughs> to be honest. Like, <laughs> it, it did really, really well. Uh, it, it was something I, I never expected. Um, but, yeah, fortunately got quite a bit of uh, press coverage. Of course, 9to5Mac uh, published about it. Uh, all of the other uh, Apple websites covered the, the app launch. And uh, what's interesting is that, and I think it's uh, it's similar a little bit with uh, the Widget Smith situation, although like it wasn't even probably close <laughs> to, to, to what uh, happened to Widget Smith, but it went further than the tech circles. Ah, uh, so yeah. people from other circles uh, learned about the app. So I and I, I learned about that uh, first of all, like looking at coverage and then seeing the the links and and things like that. But also from the support emails I, I would get because I would get emails from. Uh, people and the signature would say like a lawyer at so-and-so firm <laughs> or a priest at the church, whatever. And like, it would be like regular people and not the, like developers or, or tech uh, writers or, or people like that. So that's when I noticed that um, m- most of the reason for that being so successful is that it, it went further than just the tech circle. Yeah, that, and like you've been doing this for a long time, but the tech circle is a big circle and you can sort of build a business and live in this world for for a while in that circle. But uh, yep. it's definitely a different world. I have a, a small experience with that with uh, Overviewer, which is an app I just released for free earlier this year, and it's made specifically for teachers. And so obviously the majority of the people uh, that have downloaded it are teachers. They're not people who listen to tech podcasts, right? Yeah. And... Uh, it has been an interesting experience do running support for that because one, it's part of the video conferencing world, which has all sorts of weird quirks. But the other thing is I'm not talking to people who are like asking about shortcuts integrations. I'm talking to people who are trying to understand, you know, I, I don't want to say basic, but like things that people who listen to tech podcasts, it's just obvious knowledge. And AirBuddy is working at a much more, I feel like, complicated layer with integration with literal hardware products. Uh, so I imagine if you got out of the tech sphere, you're probably getting all sorts of sort of obscure bugs and interesting things. How have you like dealt with that? Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I had to deal with uh, a 
large number of support requests and I, I reached a point where I actually had to do things in the app that I wouldn't have done if it wasn't to reduce my support burden, ah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there are certain things, like there are certain settings, for instance, in the app that if I were to choose, I would make them... I would make the default different than what it is, but I leave the default at what it is because I know if I don't do that, I'll get a lot of support requests because the people we are used to dealing with, developers, tech writers, they tend to like explore the settings within an app and click every button to see what it does and flick every switch to see what happens. But many people don't do that. Uh, so if if I don't make the defaults the best they can be for the like quote regular people i'll end up having to reply to a bunch of support requests <laughs> and i know that the developer and, and and tech people will find the setting and change it <laughs> interesting well like what's an example of that Anything that causes that can cause the app to not show a status window for your AirPods, if anything at all. Like I have a setting, and I'm actually opening here, so I, I say the yeah, right I'm thing. I'm like literally poking around <laughs> right now too. <laughs> yeah. So I in the advanced proximity settings, I have uh, a setting that um, don't show if the Mac is locked, and that's off by default, and that's because. If for whatever reason the status window doesn't show because the app thinks the person's Mac is locked, I'll get a support request. Hey, I opened my AirPods and it didn't show up. <laughs> Interesting. So, And was this driven by the actual support emails you got? Like you'd get a whole bunch yep. and you'd tweak the app to kind of help lower the amount of support emails you get? Yep. Also, the uh, don't show if do not disturb is enabled which was actually a feature since version one. And it was actually a feature request. Someone asked, hey, if uh, I have do not disturb enable, I would like for the app to not show the status window. And the context, I think, is the person was uh, on a meeting and they were playing with their AirPods case. Ah, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they were not using the, the, yeah, the AirPods because the AirPods were actually inside the, the case and they were opening and closing. Right, they're doing the fidget with the, the, the case thing. <laughs> yeah, and they were playing around with the, the AirPods case and the app was showing the window, hiding the window, showing the window. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, but again, um, in version one, this was the default but I would get a bunch of, of support requests. Hey, sometimes for some reason my Mac doesn't show, uh, everybody doesn't show the status when I open the AirPods case. Why is that? And uh, I would ask, is do not disturb enabled by any chance? And yes, that's it. <laughs> that's awesome. So I had to change the default there. That makes sense. And so uh, I guess I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit. So one thing that I noticed with everybody too, I don't think this was in one, is you have a pretty like slick intro little tutorial thing that shows you with little videos, like how certain things work. Was that driven by a similar mindset? Yeah, exactly. Um, I had uh, the, this problem with version one where, because everybody is, is kind of invisible most right. of the time. Like uh, it just, yeah, it just keeps, the idea is that it, it should be kind of like, it's part of the OS to, to some extent. So it is kind of hidden by default. 
um, but it was just too hidden in in version one. So many people who are who don't know the intricacies of how these types of apps work or maybe this is the first app they're installing on their mac like they just got a new mac they just got airpods they're just getting into it they didn't know how to how the app worked like they would launch the app and it would show the settings and they would close the app and okay so what can i do with this app <laughs> uh yeah so that was the reason and this was also inspired by the way Apple has been doing things on the iPhone. When you set up an iPhone, there are all of these little tutorials that show up. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think uh, we like to complain about that sort of stuff, but for most people, that stuff is actually really helpful. And did you did you notice, like, a drop in, uh, like, those types of support after you push those updates? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was quite dramatic uh i don't get any support anymore about like installation issues or that's awesome the person not knowing how to use the app uh, i get like for specific features and uh, like how do, how can i use this or i want to do this uh, how do i do this but yeah like this type of stuff like oh i launched the app and and now what I, I don't get that stuff anymore and also for installation issues um there's a lot of complexity in this app on installation because it doesn't have an installer you don't don't download like this pkg file i wanted to avoid like having to learn how to make an installer <laughs> and i also feel like users tend to not like uh, installers on macOS. Um, so everybody's just a regular .app. You drag it into your applications folder. Um, but this whole process can also be confusing to some users. So I was distributing it as, as, as a zip file and I moved over to DMG because when you use a DMG, you can have like a little arrow that points to the applications folder. Right. Um, shortcuts and then it's very easy for the user to do that uh, i also had to use um, a thing called let's move which is basically like if you launch the app from within the disk image it will show you a dialogue hey can you please move me to the applications folder um and ideally an app should work uh in like if you have it in your downloads folder and you launch it it should work but in reality, an app like Airbuddy, which has to register a helper with the system and it has a widget and there's all of this stuff, uh, it, it has to be at a stable location right. on your disk in order to work properly. And yeah, so, and my beta process was super important for that because during my beta, I got a bunch of super niche and random installation issues uh, because like oh the person's launch agents directory under their user <laughs> is not owned by their user or it doesn't have write permissions for their user so i actually had to create a secondary code path in the installation where it actually asks for a password if that's the case oh wow so they can yeah. do it so the ins installation was a, a really uh, complicated issue fortunately it's been solved for now that's awesome and i guess the last big question i have for everybody is i don't understand why it seems so much more reliable at grabbing my airpods than if i just go to the bluetooth menu and select it 
is there like some sort of magic you're doing there that's different than what Apple's doing? Wow, that that's a proprietary information. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could just say yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I I do some tricks, um, and and that was all through my own uh, usage. I think the fact that I am the the heaviest user of everybody really helps the app because if I click something uh, and if I click to, to connect to my AirPods and they don't connect. I'm going to be mad and I'm going to launch Xcode and, and I'm going to fix it. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I played around. Um, this was a lot of experimentation. I probably have tens of test projects in my experiments folder that because when I want to like uh, do some testing with like uh, how what's the best way to connect a Bluetooth headset in a reliable way, I will like create a new Xcode project and do it away from the app. Uh, so I probably have like tens of projects. I rewrote the part that handles mobile devices, so iPhones, iPads, Apple Watch, probably over ten times <laughs> to oh, wow. to find the 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 better version that wouldn't crash, that wouldn't drain the battery, and that would be reliable. So yeah, I do a lot of experimentation. Well. It- it really shows, honestly. Like, I am a person who switches between devices a lot, uh, between different Macs and between my iPhone and iPad, sometimes for dev work, sometimes for, you know, personal stuff, whatever. And it, it, it so distinctly made that experience so much smoother uh, switching between Macs. And that's not even talking about the fact that, you know, AirBuddy now also lets you switch between your trackpad and Magic Keyboard between multiple Macs, which is... I was I have like a whole complicated cable setup to help make that switching <laughs> a little easier, which I thought was amazing compared to the old regular Bluetooth stuff. Like, you know, I thought just being able to plug it in and it switch was simple. But being able to do it through AirBuddy is even simpler. I don't have to have everything wired all the time. And so uh cannot recommend it enough i recommend it to all sorts of people uh and so that work very much comes through in the final product or at least it does to me yeah thank you and and i actually did some uh, vfx work for those tutorials in the intro um where you have the hand uh, in front of the, the the display uh the display is actually a green screen oh nice <laughs> look at that <laughs> a little bit of comping yeah. uh in your yeah it's it's always a delight when you get to open up after effects or i don't know what you use but uh i do use after effects yeah, yeah I, it's like it makes me just immensely happy to do that especially if it's for work like my real job i get to open up after <laughs> effects and i get paid for this it's like this dream i had in you know high school that uh, i never i didn't go down that path but every time i get to it makes me happy so it 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 really is fun to see the stuff that you produce because you always find ways to uh integrate really polished fun animations into everything it seems like yeah, and I wanted to have a nice animation for Magic Handoff as well, which, by the way, is a really complicated feature. <laughs> like, I have to imagine. Uh, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't have released it with the initial <laughs> .0 .0 because it was uh, coming in hot and there were a lot of issues and there still are a lot of issues, but I'm slowly working through them and, and making it better. Um, but yeah, that's a really complicated thing because you, the, the both Macs have to negotiate things between each other and I had to deal with a little bit of uh, crypto stuff to make it secure. Um, but in the front of all of that complexity, I wanted this really cool animation and I actually made my, rendered my own 
3D animations for the magic mouse, trackpad, and keyboard. So I purchased the models. Fortunately, I found uh, models online that I could purchase and license for this. But the actual animation was was rendered by me in After Effects. That's awesome. Yeah, and that that's an example magic handoff of one where it that's disabled by default, right? You have to go in and enable yep. it. Probably for a yeah. similar reason as we talked about earlier. Yeah, and also for um, for efficiency reasons, because when you have it enabled, it's going to increase the usage of Bluetooth bandwidth. Um, and I have seen that cause problems in, in some cases, depending on your setup and your environment. So, And most users don't use that feature. So... Yeah, I, I thought it was best to leave it disabled. So uh, we're already, as always, I feel like I always say, uh, we're, we're, I'm over time a little bit. But I did, I kind of <laughs> want to briefly touch on uh, just recently, maybe the end of last year, early this year, uh, you have gone independent. You're like now back kind of on your own, doing your own thing again. Uh, and I, I'm just curious what that's like enabling you to do going forward. Is it giving you some free time back after burning yourself out? Or do you think that's going to let you kind of dive into more of these uh, like AirBuddy and projects like that? Yeah, I didn't burn myself out, uh, fortunately, uh, but I was um, working a lot. And lately at, at uh, my job, I had actually transitioned to, to being the, the manager of the mobile team. So I was actually doing a lot less coding, almost no coding at all, which was actually really good because then I could focus all of my coding energy on my own projects mm, yeah. and my people energy on, on the actual job. Um, so it was mostly like meetings and, and uh, technical decisions and things like that, um, code reviews as well. But yeah, I, I was doing uh, managing and... I, I actually had uh, tried to quit <laughs> in uh, 2019 after everybody won um, because uh, financially I didn't need the, the job anymore. And also I was starting to need more time to dedicate mainly to everybody, but also my other side projects. Um, but everybody me being the thing that was uh, basically feeding me. Um <laughs> And I tried to quit, and um, the uh, my manager at the time was like, um, "Hey, why don't I? Why don't we do this? I will give you a raise, and you work part time." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good gig if so, you can get it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I like there was no way I, I could reject it. It was a really good offer, and so I did. But yeah, lately also like. The, the job was less exciting because we got hit really hard with uh, the pandemic. Mm, uh, so yeah. the company was really uh, struggling with, with the, because of the pandemic. So we were not like shipping a lot of stuff lately. And, but also at the same time, I was again at the point where I needed more time and I had, I have all of these other things I want to do, a lot of things that, I haven't launched yet. I'm actually going to release a, a new app soon, which Ooh. I talked about on Stacktrace, but uh, it's it's a simple little thing that I wanted for myself and decided to to launch an app because it's been a while since I launched a new iOS app. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to do that. Um, and yeah, there are other ideas I have. I want to do more workshops and, and things like that, online workshops. 
And uh, also I have other hobbies. I love cooking and I was not having time to, to cook anymore. So I, I wanted to, to get that back. And recently I've also been doing a lot of hardware stuff like Arduino and Raspberry Pi and things like that, which we talk about in a recent episode of Stack Trace. So yeah, I'm, I'm getting my time back now and, and dedicating that to both relaxing and also doing the, the things I like. That is very good to hear. It's always uh, nice to hear people kind of settling into a good place in their lives, especially uh, in our current world where it's, yeah. it's hard to get uh, calm, it feels like. Um, so I guess I guess we can wrap up with uh, asking the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show, which is what is a, a person or people out there that have inspired you that you'd recommend other people check out? Yeah, so this is a very tricky question uh, and uh, I guess that's why you tell us about it beforehand <laughs> right? yeah when I remember uh, <laughs> I've gotten better about uh, it but uh, not yeah sometimes it's not a lot of lead time <laughs> it's good that I listened to this show and also that you reminded me beforehand because this is indeed very complicated <laughs> and I could name a bunch of people here uh, and I'm going to name a person that, that's been an, an inspiration lately and um, more recently. Uh, there have been a lot of people who have inspired me along the years, but I've been um, really inspired recently by the work of Mark Rober, and he's actually an ex-NASA uh, um, engineer. And he became a YouTuber. This is the uh, the glitter bomb uh, guy, right? Exactly, the glitter bomb guy. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, his work really inspires me because it, it it really aligns with me, like the the fun aspects, and also at the same time a lot of engineering and a lot of thinking behind the fun. And yeah, so I've really enjoyed watching all of his videos and I, I always look forward to, to his next thing. And um, yeah, so his projects really inspire me. And also I think we as developers can, can find inspiration beyond other developers. You don't have to be inspired by other developers necessarily. So you can be inspired by uh, a YouTuber, a, a musician or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like Mark is almost like aggressively positive, uh, which yep. kind of goes with uh, kind of the theme of what you were talking about with Stacktrace. Yeah. Uh, very like even the glitter bomb thing, if you haven't seen it, uh, which would be a surprise because it went like crazy viral. Uh, <laughs> it, it's him like kind of getting back at people who steal packages on uh, porches like from Amazon. And he made like this thing that if you try and steal it, it waits a certain amount of time and then shoots glitter everywhere. But even that, <laughs> it, it like, obviously, when you describe that, it sounds very, like, vindictive and sort of pranky, but it didn't feel like it, at least watching the video. It felt very, like, positive, and he wasn't trying to get him arrested or anything. It was just sort of this, I don't know, it somehow felt fun. But, yeah, most of his other stuff is almost purely positive um, with that heavy engineering here's the problems we ran into here's how we tried to solve that kind of stuff which is yeah that's really fun yeah definitely and he he didn't he have like some sort of involvement with apple and self-driving cars or something somehow i do not remember uh i i, I remember that apple websites covered his I the, either the first or the second version of the glitter bomb because it, it was a home pod box that he used oh <laughs> I like that that's the angle. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Awesome. Well, that is a very good one. I highly recommend that. And I also subscribe to the, uh, I like finding inspirations outside of the developer sphere. I mean, honestly, similar to you, I grew up obsessed with VFX in the film industry and inspirations from that world and the tutorial world of After Effects and all that stuff has heavily influenced my like developer career. And so I, I'm always trying to find people and I like to have people on when I can that are from sort of an outside industry because I feel like sometimes that's where you can learn the most or at least hear things that you haven't already heard before. Yeah. And uh, this is also something that um, you can think about, like what, what sort of skill do you have outside of software development that you could use to improve your work? Uh, and I think pretty much everyone out there has at least one more skill that they could probably be leveraging, uh, but they're not mainly just because they haven't made the connection yet. Yeah. Yeah. People talk about, uh, you know, your passion has to be coding. Like that's always a debate on Twitter and some people, maybe that is like your, your obsession and your passion and you just love writing really intricate, solid principled code. And that is obviously a skill you can easily leverage for your development job. But I think a lot of most people that probably isn't their passion. And it's always fun when you can find a way to leverage your passion to, to bring a unique insight or idea or way of working into uh, into development. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, I guess to wrap up, where can people find you and uh, your work? Well, that's easy. Just go to Twitter. I am at underscore inside. And there you'll find uh, my tweets, of course, and also a link to my blog, which is uh, rambo.codes. I've been trying to publish more to my blog lately uh, and I have a, a bunch of article ideas that I should be writing soon. Yeah, definitely if you're a developer, you'll probably end up there naturally if you're trying to figure out uh, some iOS thing, but uh, your blog has been the starting point for multiple of my uh, features I've tried to add, like iCloud syncing and stuff like that, so hard recommend on that too. Nice. Uh, so thank you so much, Guy, for coming on. This was absolutely delightful and uh, I I especially love having somebody on who, like when I entered this world, you were just there and I never really knew the sort of backstory <laughs> for how you got into here this world. So uh, this was really, really fun for me. I, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a lot of fun to me as well. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launchedfm.com. Launched